and welcome to the Victory Alabang Podcast. You're listening to a message from our preaching series entitled Amazing Grace. Together, we'll gain a biblical understanding of God's amazing grace and how it transforms our lives. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, we'd like to welcome you to uh, church. Welcome home. My name is Pastor Ariel. I'm one of the pastors of this congregation. And uh, we do hope that you will find this place as your home away from your original home, okay? Like a second home. Uh, we are actually ending our series on uh, Amazing Grace. Now, how many of you are grateful for the grace of God in your life? Can we once again give the Lord a hand for His grace? That is amazing. The fact that we're here, God protects us, um, free from illness, sickness. God's been good. Amen. How many of you will say God is good? God is good. God's amazing. His grace is amazing. And so we've been journeying for the past five weeks on this uh, word called grace. You know, when you talk about grace, grace is something that we welcome in our lives. Grace is something that we don't deserve. We don't work for it. It's freely given, something that is undeserved, not based on merit, but based solely on the goodness of God. And so we talked about justifying grace, the grace that saves. This is the grace that qualifies us to have eternal life and forgiveness. And then we talked about sufficient grace, the grace that gives uh, that we need in the times of um, difficulties. And also we talked about sanctifying grace. Everybody say sanctifying grace. Now we are being sanctified. We're being changed every day. We're, we're being transformed more and more to the image of Jesus. That God is not done with us yet. Amen. That though we're not perfect, we're already but not yet. Everybody say already but not yet. You're already saved but yet. Not yet, okay? But you're being saved. You're still being sanctified. You're being, you know, transformed. Uh, last week, we talked about enriching grace, the grace that provides, the grace that abundantly overflows so that we can actually be a blessing to others. And today, we're ending uh, this series with what you call inviting grace. Everybody say inviting grace. You know, when you talk about grace uh, or inviting grace, you know, it's kind of like, First, not really the first time, but you know, there's one facet of grace that I never really looked at. But yet we're, we're always invited to come and partake of that. You know, how many of you, you know, uh, when you have a friend and your friend is getting married, you're expected to be invited to the wedding of that friend of yours, right? How many of you expect? If, if he or she did not invite you, it means that? You're no longer friends. No, no, just kidding, okay? Maybe you're not that close of a friend, okay? Uh, or maybe they forgot about you. I'm not really sure what happened, okay? But yet, we, we, we want to be invited, especially those who are close to us. Especially maybe when, uh, when, when somebody was like, a, you know, somebody higher in position, we are so grateful for the invitation. We take it as a compliment or an honor. We feel elated when we are uh, invited. Many years ago, not many, yeah, I guess, Quite a number of years ago, we got invited to attend a, uh, a launching of the new bills in Malacanang. And so it's my first time to go inside the Malacanang Hall. And, you know, what an experience. You know, us being invited, we were given, like, we were part of the short list. We were given an invitation. And so uh, we were able to meet the president, not uh, the current president, but the former president. And so, uh, you know, just being invited is something, right? We get excited. We dress up for the occasion. We, 
you know, we, uh, we don't want to get late. How many of you know that if the president of the country invites you, you don't want to be late? Right? Although sometimes we are late meeting the king of kings. Right? I'm not just kidding, right? In church. But yet, when the king of kings invites us, how many of you are excited about that? Then there's a daily invitation coming from God, coming from Jesus, who is over the president of any nation. His title is President of Presidents, if I may use that term. Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And He daily invites us to come and enjoy His company, to dine with Him, to fellowship with Him. You know, when you go to a party and maybe it's a group of just intimate friends, you know, it's, also, it's always good to enjoy the company. You know, to enjoy the moment. Everybody say, enjoy the moment. And I think the best thing to do when you are, for example, invited in a dinner is to let go of your phone for a while. Don't check your email too much. Don't, I know that you're going to take a picture of the meal, but, you know, but yet to enjoy the moment and to really have fellowship and to be at rest and at peace with the people there. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews and how the author of Hebrews was um, somehow encouraging the Hebrew believers that they need to find their rest in God. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it to Hebrews chapter 4. This is where we find that God loves coffee because Hebrews. Some of you will get that later on. Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Three verses and then uh, we're going to pray. Let's all stand up as we give reverence to the Word of God. We stand up to hear the Word, to give reverence to the Word of God, to stand at attention and say, God, we are here, a people who would like to obey your Word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to verse 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, everybody say, let us. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable or unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Verse 16, let's all read it out loud altogether. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that is life. In fact, the same chapter in Hebrews in verse uh, 12, 13, you said that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And we thank you, Lord God, that this word transforms. This word gives us life. We are asking Holy Spirit to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. And as a people, your children, to approach your throne of grace daily. And every time we need grace and help. And we thank you, Lord God, that you're always open to receive us. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. As I was saying earlier, the author of Hebrews was writing an encouragement or a letter to a people who are Jews. They are Hebrews. They're Hebrew believers, and they started obeying the way. That's what they call Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. First uh, mention of Christians were in Antioch. 
So they found also their uh, new journey with him, but not without persecution. And so the reason why the Hebrew writer was writing is because some of them are tempted to go back to their old ways, to go back to their old tradition. They were a people who are so used to the temple and so used to the things in the past. And because of persecution, it's kind of rocked their faith in the Lord. Some of them are about to lose their lives, lose their families. They are losing their, their possessions. And how many of you know that when that happens, somehow you would think, you know, twice, you know, if, if you are about to see and witness the, per, you know, the, not just the persecution, but the prosecution of your family, what would you do? You know, we've nev- never come to that point of persecution. And how many of us have been persecuted for our faith? Can we lift up our hands? You know, we've been persecuted maybe in our workplace, maybe in the industry that you're in, maybe in your campus, maybe in your office. But yet, the worst kind of persecution that many of us have received was maybe a bash on social media. I'm not really sure if you receive that. Maybe someone is posting a, like, a hate message towards you because of your faith. But that's about it. We've never been persecuted to the point of death. I don't think so. Not here in Metro Manila. Maybe not yet. Maybe no, okay? But yet in some countries, like in close countries, what's happening in the Hebrews in the first century is still happening in the world today as we speak. Some of them are losing their jobs. Some of them are closing down churches. We have brothers in China who are going through such persecution. They have never come anyway, you know, recently, at least the, the worst kind of persecution is they're not really executed before they were, but now they can lose their job. They can still go to prison, but we've never had such. And so the Hebrew writer was encouraging them, move on and let us, let us finish the race with perseverance. It's an invitation. It's, it's interesting that this particular word has been coming out often in this particular book. Warren Wiersbe encouraged uh, in, his, in one of his writings, he said, no believer has strength enough to cross Jordan and conquer the enemy, but we have a great high priest who has mercy and grace to help in the nick of time. And how many of you are glad that God is never late? Sometimes we can say that God's provision tarries a bit. You know, when we pray, we get three kinds of answer. We get yes, we get a no, or many times we get a wait. How many of you have gotten a wait from God? And the hardest answer for me is the wait. I'd rather receive, Lord, sabi mo na kung no or yes. You know, I'd rather receive a no. At least I know it's not your will. And then I move on. But when God says, wait, that is where your faith is and my faith is tested. And I believe that this particular chapter in chapter 4 is all about rest and rewards. You know, we see that in the beginning part of chapter 4 in Hebrews, you know, the writer was saying, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us, everybody say let us, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Fallen short of what? Fallen short of entering the rest of God. Many people are still striving today, though they're already believers. 
Still trying to prove, you know, God, I don't deserve it. I want to do something more for you. I want to do this. But yet God wants us to enter the rest. Just enter the rest. It's almost like a book ends in the chapter. You know, beginning part of the chapter, we see entering the rest. And the last part of the chapter is entering the throne of grace. There's no clearer picture of this. That God wants us to fully trust in Him. Amen. In quietness and trust is our strength. When we rest ourselves and we rest our soul in the goodness and in the mighty hands of God, how many of you know that that can actually give you even more confidence every single day to live? Many times you can actually panic, you know, all these things that we've heard uh, and seen, you know, on, on the news, uh, you know, the ta'al, the, the virus, and, you know, you, you, you can actually add on to that and fill in the blanks. We don't know what will happen in 2020. They say that we had the longest month. It's like everything happened in January already. It's like packed. But now is the month of love. And we get to enjoy. I believe that God wants us to experience a fresh rest in His presence. That though we are not in control of our situation, we know that He is. And the reason why you and I can rest, everybody say rest. You know, when you rest, you cease from working, right? You don't work. When you rest, you're not working. You're not striving. You're trusting. And you're waiting. And you know for a fact that He's always going to come through. For we also know, uh, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said, so I declare an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. For those who are still continuing to strive will never enter it or will not enter it. But us who have entered it, let's not go out of that rest that we enter. Two words that we often see in this whole book is the words, let us. Ever say let us again. Let us. I like lettuce. You know, I like it for salad, lettuce, you know. Lettuce. Uh, we see this repeated four times in the chapter. Hebrews 4, we find that lettuce has, always, uh, has been repeated several times. In the verses that we've read, we saw it twice already. In the whole book of Hebrews, we see it 14 times. If you will count it, and if you will read through the book of Hebrews, it speaks of a community that invites us to go to God. And how many of you know it's nice to enter or be invited as a community and not as individuals? I'd rather go to a wedding anytime with my family, than just attend a wedding alone. Except when I'm officiating that wedding. Sometimes I, yeah, with, a, with another friend or a pastor. But you see that the whole point of Hebrews, the whole point is, let us. Let us throw off every, confidence, uh, every sin that easily entangles. And let's run the race that is marked out for us. There's always an encouragement of let us. In Tagalog, taralets, baguettes, you know. Taralets, let's. Let's do it together. I, I don't want to enter. I don't want to finish this race alone. And how many of you are glad that we are not running the race alone? We're running a race where we have a marked 
prize, we have a goal, but yet we're all running the race in different paces. Some run faster than others, but one thing is for sure, we're called to win and finish the race. Amen. I'm praying that one day we will say the very words of the Apostle Paul, I have fought the fight, I have kept the faith, and I have finished the race. Amen. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, let us. Let us. You eat that later, okay? Let us. Let's look at the three verses that we have just read. Verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And so we see this title, great high priest. It's the title given solely to Jesus. You know, we're familiar with priests. How many of you have heard of priests or seen a priest growing up? You know, we live in a very religious uh, nation. And I grew up, you know, seeing priests. Uh, I attended a Catholic uh, high school, elementary high school, and, and even college. Uh, so we see, we see priests. They, they administer the sacraments. They, uh, you know, they somehow in, in, the, in the Jewish culture, they also have what they call priests. And a priest is someone who represents the people before God. Moses was a priest. He's coming from a lineage of a family of priests. Aaron and Miriam, they were part of the family of priests. But yet, when you talk about Jesus, he is no regular priest. He is what you call the great high priest. And he went to the heavens. There's no other high priest like him. You know, in the Old Testament, whenever a high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, he's only qualified to enter the Holy of Holies once a year. Everybody say once a year. Once a year, he needs to check if he's qualified to enter that because the Bible says without holiness, no one can see God. And so the people are actually scared in the past and they told Moses, Moses, just talk to the Lord on our behalf because we can't see God. And they're scared when, you know, when, the, when God showed up in the mountain, when he was about to give the Ten Commandments, they said, we don't want to go there, go there on our behalf. And so God instituted this sacrificial system in this priestly ministry. And so there's this high priest every year, once a year, who would sacrifice on behalf of the people for their sins. And what the priest would wear is he has to wear this robe that is specified according to Leviticus. And he has to wear a long rope and bells on that, you know, at the end of that rope. Because the assistants of that priest in the temple, they needed to hear if they are, there's still sound coming from the Holy of Holies. He's the only one qualified to enter that place. And as long as they hear, Buhay pa. Kling, kling, kling. Buhay pa. The moment they stop hearing a sound, they're going to assume, even for a while, they're going to assume that the high priest is dead. Maybe because of sin. Maybe because he was not able to fulfill the sacrament or the sacrifice that is prescribed in the law. And so what they will do is they will actually pull out that priest from the Holy of Holies using that rope. How many of you are glad that we don't live in that era anymore? Can you imagine your pastor? You know, I have a bell here and a long rope. Buhay pa si pastor? But I'm so grateful that when that time came, when Jesus gave his last breath, that 
veil in the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. And the priesthood of the believers was introduced. No longer do you need a high priest in order to represent you before the Lord. We are all priests unto the Lord. We're able to have access. And God will hear our prayers straight. You don't have to pass through Pastor Bodhi or Pastor Rain or Pastor Ariel and say, Pastor, pag-pray mo naman ako. Kasi close kayo ni Lord, di ba? You know, we have that mindset because it came from that mentality of the Jews, that clergy, laity mentality that somehow the clergy is closer to God than the lay people. Eh, wrong answer. I want to submit to you today and I want to just preach that today you and I have exactly the same invitation, the same kind of access, the same VIP pass in the Holy of Holies to meet the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Come on now. All of us. All of us have the same access. You've got the same VIP pass. It's not because I am a pastor and I've gone through training. You and I are believers. We're priests unto God. But yet there is only one great high priest. And his name is Jesus. Jesus has been given this title, the sole person who's qualified to have the title great high priest. He is the son of God. His heavenly name talks about his deity. In fact, the humanity of Jesus qualifies him to be the great high priest. The reason why he became, he, he became a priest is because he became human just like us. The deity of Jesus qualifies him to pass into the heavens and to pass and to stay in the presence of God every single day. Jesus is our Savior. But his function of a Savior is done already and happened 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. But today, as we speak, he is ever interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. He is our advocate, our great high priest, the one who defends us, the one who represents us before God, and the one who says, Father, pagpasensyahan mo na si Ariel. Ganyan talaga yan. You know, one who stands on our behalf. And I know that we can come to God, but it's more, I believe that the prayers of Jesus is the most effective prayer to the Father. Let us hold fast our confession. You know, our confession is important because we're not just babbling words. You know, there, how many of you realize that there's power in your tongue? When you speak, you're actually speaking blessings or curses. Confession is normally, it cannot happen by thinking. It happens with speaking. When you confess that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be what? Saved. There's a power in your confession. Your confession is your testimony. Your confession actually validates the life that you live. There is power every time you speak the word of God, every time you confess what you believe in. A witness, we're witnesses. And a witness is normally called to the witness stand to present his testimony. I mean, if you've seen movies like that, you know, or maybe visited a courtroom and you've seen a witness sharing his testimony. A witness is actually someone who has knowledge of the fact, someone who's willing to be honest to tell the truth, and somebody who's got a good reputation. And that is our confession. 
That's why the early fathers helped the believers, the young believers, because not, not many of them are able to read Latin and the, the different scriptures. But yet, the early fathers in the 1400, uh, 400 AD, uh, or sorry, they, they uh, made a creed or a, uh, a confession of sorts or a statement of faith several times in different uh, councils, the Nicene Creed, and what is more familiar with us today is the Apostles' Creed. And how many of you still memorize the Apostles' Creed? You know, we, we grew up, you know, we've been drilled to memorize this. And this is actually coming from the Bible. The Apostles' Creed was written by our early church fathers in 400 AD to help the young believers in spiritual formation. It talks about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So just so that you can recall the Apostles' Creed. In fact, sometimes we need to recite this in church. It's good to have our kids memorize this because this is the tenets of our faith. We memorize the Bible and this actually came directly from the Word of God. Let's all recite and confess the Apostles' Creed with feelings. Everybody, one, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. Father, Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let me clarify this term. Holy Catholic Church does not refer to Roman Catholic Church. When you say Catholic, Catholic means universal. Everybody say universal. It is the universal church. It's the universal body of Christ. It is the church that Jesus is coming back for in Ephesians chapter 5. We are part of the Catholic Church. Akasha is part of a bigger body which is called Victory. And Victory is part of a bigger body called the Church in the Philippines together with you know, New Life and JIL and the others. And we're part of a bigger body worldwide called the Body of Christ. The Holy Catholic Church. Jesus is coming back for a church, not an organization. He's coming back for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. It's all by the work of the Holy Spirit. There's power in the confession of our faith. That's why people are asking, you know, they will persecute Christians and they will say, are you willing to recant your faith? What they are saying is, are you willing to deny all these things that we have just confessed? And many Christians are not willing to do that. They would rather die than say, I don't believe in God, and I don't believe in the Son, and I don't believe in the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that there was a price to pay just so that they can confess? And the Hebrews is saying, hold fast to your confession of faith. Never let go. They had that during that time. Nowadays, just because of inconvenience, you're willing to let go. Na traffic lang, ayoko na. Na offend lang, ayoko na mag church. 
Sometimes, the easiest way to get out is always found in the, the modern-day Christian. I hope that us Christians in the 21st century, just like the Hebrews in the past, that we will all hold fast to our confession of faith. Let's move on. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. How many of you know that Jesus can relate with you and me? He can relate with any type of weakness, trials, temptations. Jesus is God, and yet he experienced human suffering. He understands our pain. There's a, an imprint when he became human. There was an imprint. What it is to be tempted. He was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. The Holy Spirit led him there, but yet was without sin. He knew hunger. He knew persecution. He knew how it is to lose a loved one. How to be betrayed by a friend. He knew how it is to be lonely. To be alone. And so on and so forth. He knew how it's like to suffer and to have physical pain. What qualifies him to be a priest? You know, let's backtrack a bit. A bit. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 to 18, there's the reason why. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to be a man. He cannot just observe from heaven. He had to be human just like us. It was purposed by God the Father that Jesus becomes human just like the brothers and sisters. And it says, therefore, he had to be. Everybody say, had to be. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. Atonement. <laughs> to make atonement for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. There's no one like Jesus. He's not just a God who is a deist, who is far, far away. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can actually learn. You can learn about something by reading. You can learn about something by watching. You can learn about something by listening to like, you know, a nice podcast. By the way, speaking of podcasts, we have regular podcasts that you can listen to as well. You know, we can learn something by observing. But I believe the best way to learn is by experiencing. Jesus did not just research about humanity. He stepped inside humanity. He became one like us. Immersion. Jesus immersed himself in a culture. You know, when we send out missionaries, they don't just study the language. They study culture. They want to be part of what's happening in that same environment. One of my friends uh, in the ministry, Pastor Ray Corpus, who's now the senior pastor of our Every Nation Church in Abu Dhabi. When he was still here in the Philippines, he knew for a fact that he's called to minister to Muslims many, many years ago, decades ago, even before I became a pastor. And then he said, you know, it is my conviction not to eat pork because it is offensive to the Muslims. From that time, he made that commitment until today. Last week, I saw him in EN, and he is so still, so thin. I said, Pastor Ray, what is the secret of your health? No pork. <laughs> he did that not just for health reasons. He did that so that he can actually relate with the people that God has called him. 
You see, it is not really an issue of love. How many of you know there's no question about God loving us? This passage is drawing our attention to something other than love. This is not about love. It's about Jesus sympathizing with us. You know, when you talk about a, uh, for example, a rich man in the church can love a poor man in the church because they're brothers. It's not an issue of love. But maybe the question is, can the rich man sympathize with the poor man in a situation? Unless that rich man came from a background of poverty, maybe grew up poor, maybe has moved from house to house, maybe has dependent on charity all his life, and suddenly, you know, good blessings came and he became rich. Then he can love and then he can relate and sympathize with someone who's poor in the church. Not an issue of love, but of sympathy. Jesus loves us, no question. God loves us, but he came from heaven to earth so that he can sympathize with us. You know, when a couple loses a child, for example, the church community can love and give them encouragement. But there's only a few people who can actually step into that situation and say, we can sympathize and we can understand and Pastor Bodhi lost his brother. He visited Lynn and Pip in St. Luke's. And we just cried together. We love them. But we had the same experience. Sympathy. And I believe that when you talk about Jesus entering into our world, he sympathizes with us because he's familiar with human suffering. He's familiar with pain. You know, there's a story of this small boy who wanted to buy a puppy. He went to this pet shop, saw lots of cute pups right there in the store before he acquired a pup. He was asking the store owner, how much is one puppy? Store owner said, $25 for each pup. And she said, oh, I don't have money. But can I just play with your puppies? So he allowed, the store owner allowed this little boy to play with the puppy. But there's one particular puppy that he was so engrossed with. And this puppy was not even running like the other siblings, if you call it siblings, or the other, yeah, those other pups, because the store owner said, you know, there's something wrong with that pup. When we x-rayed him, he's got no hip socket, so he cannot run and he cannot walk. And the boy said, I want this puppy. And said, you may not want this puppy because, you know, he's not going to be able to run with you. And the boy said, look here. And he raised his pants, showed the store owner that he has a leg brace. And he also could not walk straight. He said, this puppy is perfect for me. And the store owner decided to give that puppy to the little boy. He said, you can understand and sympathize with this puppy. So go and enjoy your walk together. Sympathy. And the last verse we want to look at is, let us then with confidence. Everybody say with confidence. With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We know with confidence, we draw near. You know, when we sometimes sin before the Lord or are tempted or maybe we have things that we're not proud of, it kind of gives us a feeling of guilt and shame. And how many of you know that it is at that point that you don't want to come near God. But yet, the invitation of the Lord is this. 
that with confidence, not based on our merit, not based on our work, not based on our human perfection, nor our devotion, whether you read your Bible this morning or maybe last week or last month, hopefully not. When the pastor said, let's read our Bible, you know, the only time you read, you know. Or maybe pray, I don't know. But yet, that is not even the qualification for us to draw near to God. He simply says, draw near. Not in an arrogant way. Not in an irreverent way. Saying, hi bro. You know, but, hello Lord. Hello Father. We do not come on the basis of our merit. We come on the basis with humility, but yet with surety. What's interesting is this term, throne of grace. Everybody say throne of grace. You know, every time you mention a throne, a throne is actually some, you know, it's a seat of rulership, of a monarch. You know, I have a picture of a throne, which I'm not sure if that's a real throne. It looks like it was taken from Rockwell <laughs> in one of their decorations. So just assume that this is a real throne. A throne normally sits only one person. It's not supposed to be shared Lord, share tayo sa throne natin. <laughs> How many of you know there's only one king over our lives and that's not us? It's the Lord Jesus. There's only one throne. It speaks of his rulership, his sovereignty, and his power and dominion. But yet every time we look at a throne, we always imagine it's a throne of judgment. A throne of high office. But yet, this book of Hebrew is talking about a different angle of that throne. It's a throne of grace. Throne of grace. Everybody say throne of grace. It reminds me of the story of Esther. Not our Esther here in church. But Esther of the Bible who was willing to die for her people. She was a beauty queen. And there was a time when the people of God, the Jews, were persecuted uh, in, in Babylon. And Mordecai, the cousin, said to Esther, Why don't you go to the king? And beg to, for, you know, to, to protect our people. And this is what Esther said in Esther, Esther chapter 4. If any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called or without any invitation, there is but one law to be put to death except to the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But yet Esther made a decision to talk to the king on, behalf, on behalf of the Jews. And she said, then I will go to the king though it is against the law. And if I perish... I perish. Another translation says, if I die, I die. In Tagalog, patay kong patay. Patay. What's interesting is the chapter after that, in chapter 5, and when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won the what? The favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. That's a picture that I see every time we come before the Lord. We don't deserve to be in His courts. We don't deserve to be in His presence. You know, Lord, have you called me? Have you summoned me? You know, God's opened this invitation for us every day, every time, anytime to come to the throne. And this is what the picture that we will see. That every time we come before the throne of Christian confidence, He extends His hand and His golden scepter. What He's saying is, My son, my daughter, come here to me. And I want to enjoy your company. Amen. Praise God. Can we just give the Lord a hand for that?
Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalabang.church.